All right, so last week we started that journey. Actually, two weeks ago we started that journey of dealing with some of the things that are going on in society and in culture today in the United States of America, dealing with intersectionality and CRT. And I'm not going to go through a, a, a new definition of that this week or cover material that we've already uh, covered in our journey. I think that's sufficient. It's out there. It's online. It's on sermonaudio.com. Anybody can find that that wills. Uh, but it made me start thinking of a statement that we read in the New Testament. You know the statement that comes before Christ's birth, whenever uh, the angel of the Lord comes down to the shepherds and makes a proclamation to them. And that statement many of you could recite. No, I'm not doing a Christmas message as of yet, although all the stores are already loaded stock and barrel for Christmas. But what I'm doing is I'm reminding us of a promise that was made uh, by the angel of the Lord on that day. And it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to quote it. You can see it on the screen. But we will be turning to Colossians in just a minute if you want to get a head start. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we read these words. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. Now, this statement was made 2,000 years ago. This statement was made at the birth of Christ as a precursor to what he would bring when he comes on this earth. Now, let me go over a couple of points of this before we go any further, because I want you to see this as part of the bride of Christ and as part of the body of Christ. Uh, I want you to see a couple of things that are encapsulated in that verse. Number one, we talk about God's glory, glory to God in the highest. Let me just bring this out so you understand this. The glory of God cannot be increased nor decreased. The glory of God is what it is. He's all glorious. There's nothing that we can do that will add to or make the glory of God any more than what it already is. There's nothing that we can do that would take away from the glory of God or make it any less than it already is. To be all glorious is to be all glorious. He is who he is by the very nature of who God himself is. And so when we read that and we read glory to God in the highest, then what does that mean to us? It means to us that we do have an opportunity of glorifying God. That's not increasing his glory by any means whatsoever, but glorifying God is simply that we are revealing and reflecting the glory that is already there. So by the life that we live and the words that we say and the heart attitude that we have, we can reflect the glory of God that's already there, that's already part of the very nature and essence of who God himself already is. He's already infinite, and so we're just simply reflecting the infinity of that glory itself. The second part of that verse says, Peace, goodwill toward men. Do you see that in the world today? Peace, goodwill toward men. You may see that on a microcosmic scale from time to time. These signs that we want to put out is simply a, a, a word of peace to other brothers and sisters in Christ, letting the neighborhoods know that there's a place that loves their people, and love itself is, a, is the, the, the foundation that allows peace to actually be a part of somebody's life. And so that's one of the reasons we want to do these signs. You can see microcosmic episodes of peace and goodwill toward men when somebody helps another person out, when somebody's in need. And just out of love, they go and help that person. 
hopes and that they need helps instill some peace for that moment and some goodwill uh, for that moment. But with the elections at a boiling point, what we see on TV at the backdrop of all the advertisements is not pictures of peace. It's not pictures of goodwill. Matter of fact, it's detracting from that and painting each person uh, in a picture of meanness and, and foolishness and selfishness. And so as these candidates vie for your attention, that's the picture that's being painted. The, the bad things of this country are being shown and put on display in order to try to get your vote. And with threats of unrest taking place, whichever way this election goes, we may not find ourselves walking in peace. We may not find ourselves walking in goodwill as we ought to, as a people of Christ, but also as a country of people. We may find that people are more on edge, that they're more inclined to be short-tempered and short-natured with one another than they're inclined to actually walk in peace and walk in goodwill toward one another. And with the display of depravity, uh, taking place through the riots and through the looting. We think to ourselves there's no hope for humanity because they're just selfish in all their ways. The question could rightly be asked, where is the peace? Where is the goodwill toward men promised by the angel of the Lord? Where would you find that? It's a promise, right? And all of God's promises are yes and amen, are they not? And since all of God's promises are yes and amen, then where do you find the peace and goodwill toward men that the angel of the Lord actually proclaimed there in Luke chapter 2? Let me just go ahead and answer one part of this question. It will not ever, never, ever be found in government. The peace and goodwill toward men will never be found in a man-made operation of any kind whatsoever. So in government, you will not find it. You will not find uh, the imperfect systems of the political systems that will ever bring peace and goodwill toward men. And you will never find social constructs that will bring peace and goodwill toward men. And you understand that black lives matter. You understand, I hope, uh, that intersectionality. You understand uh, that CRT, critical race theory, that all of those endeavors are man-made constructs. They're trying to answer a question that they themselves have asked. And we'll never find peace and goodwill toward men through those social constructs, through those social systems. But when things are not the way they should be, when we do see oppression, when we do see problems, when we do see things that just aren't good, in the country and culture that we live in, people know it. Intuitively, by the very breath of God that was breathed into Adam, by the very creation of one, Imago Dei, in the image of God, there is residing within each one of us the understanding of right and wrong, true and false, good and bad. We all have that. Even the people who are not saved as of yet, that have not trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have that. They might not rightly ascribe what's good and what's bad, what's true and what's false, but they know that there are those categories of life that are in front of them. And when they see that things are not as they think they should be, it breeds a desire to change things. 
it breeds a desire that there's got to be change that takes place. We had a presidential nominee that ran on that very platform, did he not? Hope and change. Because he's tapping in to what is real in people's hearts and lives that they don't think things are as they should be and so he's going to use that for leverage to tap into that piece of people's lives in order to get them to say well let's change things and make them as they ought to be it breeds a desire to change things and it causes people to look for alternatives so what are the alternatives well, first of all, you have to know the foundation. And if the foundation is a, a nation that was founded on Christian principles and Christian virtues, uh, then if we're looking for an alternative, we're looking for an alternative to that. As a country and culture and people, it's that foundation that they want to erode and do away with because things are still not perfect, so therefore that must not be working. The the foundation of this country. And so it causes people to look for alternatives to what already is. And it creates a roadmap for a new direction. A roadmap for that change. A roadmap for that difference that culture and society wants to affect. It creates a roadmap for a new direction. That roadmap may ultimately be better or worse. It doesn't mean that they know what the final conclusion that they'll affect with that roadmap for change will turn out to be. It doesn't mean that they understand if we erode the foundations that are here and set up new foundations that we're actually going to get a better system and try as you might to say socialism doesn't work, try as you might to say Marxism doesn't work. Their thoughts are, well, they just didn't do it right. And since they didn't do it right, we'll be able to affect that differently than it's been affected all over the world, all the different times it's been tried, and we'll be able to do it different because we, after all, are America, and we are a country of liberty, but they don't understand that the very foundation of liberty has to go away. But they know there needs to be change. And that's in their heart and mind that they want to affect that change through a different roadmap. After all, their concept, the world's concept is this is just a human experiment. You've heard those words if you've been in college classes ever. We're part of the human experiment when they talk about our country and the found. Well, this is a human experience, uh, experiment in liberty and freedom. And, and, and there's been no culture or, or society or government within the history of the world that's lasted any number of years. And so this is just part of the grand human experiment. And if there is no God who has spoken then you could rightly say that everything we try is just an experiment. But my friends, if there is a God who has rightly spoken and has given us direction for our ways, then it's not an experiment. It's not a theory. It's not a hypothesis. If there is a God who has spoken and, and, and met us where we are in the condition that we're in, then, my friends, you can put full faith, lock, stock, and barrel in what God has directed and decided for us and trust that it's not an experiment, but it is a yes and it is an amen. But if they go down that road, hey, it's just a human experiment because we're figuring this out for ourselves, then you have to understand that there are always those that are the pragmatic ones. Those that are pragmatic in the fact that they're seeking power. 
And that's what they're seeking. They're not idealists. They're not, they're not looking at the world and saying, hey, what's wrong with the world? Let's, come, let's figure out what the ideal way of life is and let's pursue that. They're not idealists. No, they're pragmatic. There are always those that are seeking power in the midst of the human condition that we're in. They're not idealistic at all. They just simply want to leverage the perceived needs. Leverage those perceived needs in order to exploit and capitalize on what has been presented to the people on the fears and the wants of people at large. If we can leverage those needs, we can gain what we want. And that's taking place in the world all around us. The, the people that are reaching for power, and many times those needs have themselves been created by those seeking power in order to have a point of leverage, in order to gain what thereafter. Look, I don't know where you stand on global warming or climate change. That's a creation of man. You say, do you, are you telling us the globe isn't changing? Could be. But I'm just saying we're not powerful enough to affect what God has sovereign control over. It's not our power that, that makes the mountains rise or the seas rise. It's all under God's righteous hand. So could that be a point of leverage that's been created and put out there in order to create a power need for somebody to take control? It very well could be. I'm not going to be dogmatic on it. But I'm going to say we've got to start thinking that there is the world's ways and there are God's ways. There's, there's a big valley, a big, a big gulf in between the two. And so when you come to the current issues that are consuming the media with the Black Lives Matter and, and the intersectionality and the critical race theory, just understand this. There are people that are pragmatic with this, and we can use these talking points as leverage to gain control. And that's their heart's desire. And so go back now to what we read in Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let me say this. Peace and goodwill on earth won't be found in the imperfect systems of this world. All of these talking points that are coming out will not be found in the imperfect systems of this world. But we have to ask the questions if we're looking around and we're not seeing peace and we're not seeing goodwill toward men. Did the angel lie? And we know as believers the answer to that is absolutely not. But we have to recognize we're not seeing that correct. And so if the angel didn't lie, if he wasn't mistaken, then what's going on with that verse? There's an old-time country song that says, looking for love in all the wrong places. And you know what? We could apply that to the world because that's what the world's doing. They're looking for peace in all the wrong places, and they're not going to find it in the bankrupt economy of themselves. Was it not Jesus, though, who said this in John chapter 16? These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have, what's the next word, church? Peace. Life is a different verse, but I like that one too. In me you may have peace. Now, if Jesus just spoke that, we would all be going, Jesus, you're my man. Thank you so much for confirming that 
in you will have peace. Jesus, thank you for giving us that word. But he goes on and he expounds upon this and he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't promise to take us out of the problem. But he promised that in the midst of the problems that we look around and we see and we realize they're there and we can attest to that in the midst of the problem, he says, you're going to have cheer. In other words, no sweat. You shouldn't worry. You shouldn't fear. Because all of those are opposite of cheer. Cheer is a joy that is in the midst of the problems that only God can bring. And why can he bring it? Well, he finishes it with this. I have overcome the world. But God, I still see problems. I still see troubles. Yeah, Jesus said you're going to be in the midst of those. He didn't say he was going to stop those either. And so how do we deal with this tension? That Jesus says, have cheer, I've overcome the world, and yet we still see the problems. And we're still living in the midst of all of those. We'll take note of this. He says this, first of all, these things I've spoken to you. Those two words, to you, that's significant for people who have trusted and followed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's not significant for people who have not, but for those who have trusted Jesus and followed Him as their Lord and Savior, that says that peace will not be found by everyone. But oh, to you, you can find this peace. To those living within the constraints of the Lordship of Christ, which gives us liberty for life. To those who are walking after faith to the Son of Jesus Christ, we can walk through this world in peace and the things of trouble and the things of tribulation will not upset our peace but to those that are living apart from Christ that are not included in the to you they're going to have their peace upset by the things that are going on and try to figure it out on their own and that's just the way it is and Jesus goes on to say not only to you but in me and that's those that are presently walking with Christ we know that he has eternally overcome the world. And that's how you find peace on earth and goodwill toward men by being in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you're going to return curses for curses. If you're not in Christ, you're going to be worried about everything that's temporal because that is the kingdom that you live in. If you're not in Christ, then whenever politics and government and stock markets get upset you're going to get upset if you're not in Christ then all of these things are going to crash in around you because that is the world that you know but oh when you're in Christ you're going to know the world is not confined by this time and space that we live in right here and now and that the eternal promises of God are absolutely going to be yes and amen and you can have peace on earth and goodwill toward men even in the midst of problems you see truth peace can be experienced and be found in this world only through Christ. Three things I want to show you today. Peace is first between God and man. That's the peace you need. The peace that's between God and man. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Pick up in verse 19. 
peace is found between God and man. First and foremost to those who are in Christ. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile. Pause for just a second. What does it mean to reconcile? Have you ever had a relationship that was strained? You ever had a situation where somebody didn't want anything to do with you and you didn't want anything to do with somebody and what has to happen in that relationship before there can be an ongoing relationship? There has to be a reconciliation. There has to be a coming together of what was torn apart. And that's exactly what takes place with Christ. There is a reconciliation of what once was torn apart coming together. And it's by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Your peace between God and man is only accomplished through the blood of the cross. You see, it's the blood of the cross that covers our sin. Those unrighteous acts that we have when sometimes we think think we're doing good and sometimes we know we're doing bad. All of those unrighteous acts that we have, whether we have the intent or not, are covered by the blood of Christ. That means our sins are washed white as snow. And it's by the blood of Christ that that peace is then given to those who are a son of God through Jesus Christ, having made peace through the blood of the cross and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind. Oh, those are strong words. By your wicked ways, yet now he has reconciled, brought back together. We were enemies of God. You say, I never shook my fist at God. Oh, yes, you did. When you were self-willed and self-determined, much like what we're talking about the world today. And when you were self-willed and self-determined, You said, I'm going to do it my way. You sung the Frank Sinatra song with all the gusto you could muster. And you are proud of it. The fact of the matter is, that means we're an enemy of God. Because we're not yielded to what's good and true and pure and noble. We're yielded to ourselves. And if we're yielded to ourselves, we're going our way. Not God's ways. And that's where we all were at one time. We were enemies of God. But he's reconciled us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you. Oh, that's what we once were, but this is what we are now. If we're in Christ, we're holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Justification, just as if I never sin that's how God sees you in those willful acts that you knew were wrong but you did them anyway and and in those acts that you maybe thought were good but yet they were for selfish motives and selfish by selfish means those acts are still sin just as much as the other acts and yet when God covers your sin he covers all those sins all the intents of your hearts that are evil and in so he sees them no more The picture is this, when you're standing before God one day, having known the life that you lived all these days on earth, and God looks up from the judgment table to judge you, He doesn't even see you because He sees Christ, the Son that died in your place to forgive you of your sins. And in seeing Christ, He sees the blameless 
spotless Lamb of God, and He's able to look at you where you're standing and say, enter into my glory, for you have been saved by the blood of Christ, and your sins aren't with you because they've been covered and washed clean by the blood of Christ. That's the only way anybody goes to heaven, is by the blood of Christ. And we are just exactly that. We are blameless and holy. Can you say that about yourself today? Can you say, you know what, I'm holy. Oh, pastor, you don't know what I did last night. I don't care what you did last night. Do you know what Christ did 2,000 years ago? That's the point. Because if you know what Christ did 2,000 years ago and you put your faith and your trust in what Christ did 2,000 years ago, then you're holy. And if it's by your works to keep it, it's not going to be any good anyway because you'll defile it. But if it's by His one work completed upon the cross and He keeps it, it's going to stay pure no matter what you did last night. There's a fellowship issue. That's a different sermon. But there's not a family ship issue if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior. It says, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. That's one of the issues with this intersectionality and the incorporation of it into Southern Baptist doctrine. Are we moving away from that one hope that we have? I don't believe the author of the of the resolution had any intent on doing that. But be very careful when we start bringing resolutions in and adopting things to counter the world's measures, we might be very well playing into the trap of Satan that moves us closer in accord with the world. And if we get moved closer in accord with the world, then we're saying that the hope that we have has to have something added to it to keep us on track. Because if we start saying Scripture isn't sufficient to answer the questions, and if we start saying that the Holy Spirit isn't sufficient to abide with us and present us into the world as He desires to, then we start looking for other recourses to help fix those problems. My friend, if you're under the blood of Jesus, you are following the sufficiency of Scripture for your life, and you're being guided by the Holy Spirit, you, you got all you need to walk holy and blameless in this world. He says, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under, under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The key verse is that verse 35, that you go on down and read. Let's get there. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh, verse 24, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory what did the angel proclaim? Glory to God in the highest. Who knows the glory of God? You do, saints. 
If you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the glory of God has been revealed to you. Not not in its full Shekinah glory, but the glory of God has been revealed to you in part as a a veiled face where you just kind of peek around the corner of it and you get to see a little bit of the glory of God. And even that little glimpse of it, like Moses, will make you go, whoa, stop, I can't handle it anymore. And if you've been saved, You've seen an expression of the glory of God in the person of Jesus and the need for salvation. And you've responded to that and said, whoa, stop. I can't handle it anymore. I need you, O oh God. And that's taken place as Paul is expressing that the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, in, it, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Does every man res- respond with repentance? No, but it doesn't mean we don't warn. It doesn't mean we don't teach. That's what we do. That we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's the hope. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his workings, which works in me mightily. So in Colossians, there's peace that must first be brought between God and man. Verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body. If Paul had the mindset that he was living for the temporal, how could he say such a thing? He couldn't. But he knew that this world's passing away. And everything therein, and he knew there's an eternity that awaited someday. And he said, therefore, whatever I suffer, it's good. And I have peace in the midst of it. Peace is also present between the believer and others. Peace is first between God and man according to the proclamation of the angel. That's what he brought, peace to all men. But he also brings peace that is present between the believer and others as well. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 6. You say, how does this answer our need in the world today? with our need in the world today, as we read through Luke, does it not answer it? Does it not teach us, according to the Spirit of God and the person of Christ, how we ought to live? Look with me, beginning in chapter 6 of Luke, verse 28. Actually, back it up one. I missed 27, and we need to get that one in there. So can you back up one to 27 up there, Jason? You are slick, man. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, also offer the other. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask 
them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good. And lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great. When you turn 65, is that when you get your reward? That's what many people live for, isn't it? When you turn 18, is that when you get your reward? That's what many people live for. When I hit this milestone, I'll be. When I hit this milestone, I'll be. When I hit this milestone, I'll be. You'll be nothing more than what you already are. And the question is, what are you already? Are you already holy and blameless and right before God, or are you not? Because those milestones don't gain anything except more trouble in a fallen world. You see, the reward is for us one day. And it's in eternity. Your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Aren't you glad God's kind to the unthankful and the evil? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, I'm one of those that deserve to perish. Are you not? Aren't you glad God's kind to the unthankful and the evil? I'm so glad God's kind to the unthankful and the evil. For if he hadn't been kind to the unthankful and the evil, how in the world would any one of us ever been saved? And he's telling us, you treat the world that same way. You treat others just like God the Father treated you. You give to them. You don't demand back. God the Father gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to the world that whoever believes in Him should not perish. But He doesn't demand everybody get saved. He doesn't demand that everybody receive the gift that was given. That would be coercion. And if God were to coerce people into salvation, are they really receiving a gift? They're not. And if you're not really receiving, you're not really walking in faith. You see, God organized the mechanics of salvation to be by faith alone, through grace alone. That's it. And whenever we receive the grace that he's given by faith, we're saved. Peace is present between believers and others. When you read Luke chapter 6, that tells us that the peace that we walk in with others is not just walking in peace with those that are of like mind and persuasion, but we are actually walking in the peace with the world that God walked with as he gave Christ. In verse 36, he goes on and says, Therefore be merciful just as your Father also in heaven is merciful. I presented last week that the world's creation of these concepts, of these constructs, intersectionality and CRT, critical race, is their vain attempt to create utopia 
on earth. They know things are wrong. They know that they've got to do something at some point to try to work them out. They're going through their own means and their own ways to try to do it, throwing out the old, trying to bring in the new, but I'm afraid they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And they're still not going to be peaceful, peace-filled. They're still going to be worried in their world. So how can we live at peace with those who that we're walking among? How can we live at peace in a world where there is wrong? Like every other person, we think, see things that are not as they should be. The difference is the believer knows the answer. I loved one of the tests I took in college. I'll admit to you, I went to one of the previous students that took that test in college and I said hey do you have your old notebook from this class he said yeah I've got my old notebook that's a practice common among college students you go and you find somebody else's notebook and you study what they took notes on well this guy had the former test in there so I said well that'd be a great thing to study study the test because there's no professor in any university system that's going to give the same test twice are are there right this one did I took the test knowing the answers because I had the test. Made an A. I actually missed one on purpose because I thought I can't be that smart. I went to the professor the next day as the grades came back. I said, Professor, I need to tell you something. He said, well, I said, I got somebody else's notes, studied their notes. They had the test in there, took the test. I knew the answers to the test. He said, that was my fault. You get an A. That was fun. Christian, you know the answers to the test because God's given them to you. The answers to the test is when you're walking in a fallen world that has problems and turmoil all around it, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. When you're walking in a fallen world where you know what the right answers are, we sometimes want to push them on everybody else. And God says, that's my role. You just follow me. When we're walking in a fallen world where everything seems to be going chaotic and we know the answers to the test, we try to sometimes accomplish accomplish things in our own strength and for our own purposes even because we want everybody else to be like us and we want the church pews to be full but the bottom line is you just follow him knowing the answers to the test not leaning into philosophy or ideals or grabbing for power or walking in vain deceit but simply knowing that God has actually spoken and acted and given an answer of what it means to have peace and goodwill toward men and that that answer to the test that you're walking through is that you're walking under the canopy of the Scriptures of God and you're walking in the presence of the Holy Spirit and you're surrendering yourself to the high call of God to even lay yourself down if that need be the case, i.e. Paul, and you resolve, I'm okay with that. And when that's the case, then even if you're in a prison cell, just like Paul was, you can have peace and joy 
and sing praises to God. Who knows, he might shake the walls of those cells and cause the doors to fall off and cause a jailer to get saved. And wouldn't somebody experiencing eternity in heaven be worth what you have to go through in a temporal moment? Then, my friend, stop worrying. Start praising. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. And the platform of all of that is love. If you have an opportunity this week with this message in view, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very end of it, and then turn over and read chapter 13 because that's the answers to the test. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have given us to walk. It's different. It's not seeking its own. It's not contemplating what kind of difference we can make in this world if we just change the system. God, what you've given us to walk in is truth. And your truth does not change. And because of that, we have those foundations that we can have our life built upon including the foundation of love. So that when we see our enemy, just as you saw your enemy, we can even surrender our self-will that we can help those that need help. And Father, I pray that would be our mindset and that our actions would follow. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray today. Amen. Go ahead.